Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to season three of The Moments That Made Me. I'm so excited for this new series. We have some unbelievable guests lined up we are going to be listening to defining moments we're going to be talking about manifesting self-love empowerment and hopefully leaving you all inspired to live your best life talking of which my new book manifest seven steps to live your best life is finally out the response has been unbelievable. I cannot believe we sold out the country in 48 hours. My mind was truly blown, but we are finally back in stock. You can actually order it now from Amazon or Waterstones, and you will learn everything you need to know about manifestation. Hopefully, you will understand by the end of it that it's not something you do, but it is a self-development practice to live by. And I cannot wait for you all to read it and for it to hopefully change your life. If you do love it, please don't forget to leave a review on Amazon, Audible, or whatever website you purchase it from. Thank you so much. And now I'll stop chatting and we'll get to our first guest. Today, I am unbelievably honored and excited to be talking to none other than Vex King. Vex is the author of best-selling books, Good Vibes, Good Life, and Healing is the New High, and is one of the UK's most prominent mind coaches. His daily posts on social media offer the most insightful, moving, and healing words, and they have garnered him almost 1 million followers. I read his book earlier this year, and two chapters in, I knew I needed to have him on the show so I could hear his three defining moments. And I was over the moon when he kindly agreed to come on. So Vex, hello. Hi, Roxy. Thank you. Thank you for that incredible intro, by the way. Oh, no, thank you so much for coming on. And I know I was reading a post on your Instagram just yesterday and you've just scrapped a year of research and 17,000 words to embark on a new book. So how are you feeling? (laughs) I feel the pressure I'm not gonna lie um because you know I have kind of expectations with delivery kind of deadlines um for the next book but I have to stay true to my intuition um my intuition's never failed me in the past and when I was writing the the book that I was writing after a year of research and being around 17,000 words in I just felt like this isn't the book for this particular period or this particular moment in my life um and yeah I, I, there's another book that I've avoided and I felt like that was the book I needed to write so it's going to be um an interesting few months I'm going to be locked away I've got I've got a meditation room in my house um usually there's no technology in this room but I always make the exception when I'm writing books so I've kind of set up a little area with loads of, well, with my laptop um, and loads of other books that I can kind of refer to for research. And I'm just going to be kind of locked away trying to get this new book out there. Well, I cannot wait to read it. So Vex, let's start with hearing about your first defining moment that got you to where you are. Right. So defining moment, is it okay if I kind of mention a defining period of course of course okay thank you because I feel like I owe my my kind of childhood you know I've got immense gratitude for for my childhood not at the time of course but 
I think a lot of people that have heard me talk in the past or have read my books know that my childhood was really tragic. Um, it was really difficult. I lost my dad um, six months after I was born. Then my mum's business with an abusive family member went bankrupt. Um, we were homeless for three years. Poverty was a massive theme throughout my childhood. So it was violence. And all of that has kind of led me to where I am today. And I don't think I'd be sharing these lessons that I do with the world if I didn't go through what I did as a child. I don't think I'd have, you know, stories to tell, um, kind of mind shifting moments. It was because of my childhood, because of all the hardship and the adversity that I faced that I, I'm I'm a writer. I've got something to to write about. But during this childhood, you know, one thing that always came to mind was that one day I'm going to change my life around. Um, I'm going to have a better life for my not only for myself, but for my family. And then I'm going to show other people how they can kind of alleviate a little bit of their own suffering um, and how they can just live a better life. And I didn't know how that would manifest. You know, I knew one day I was going to inspire people. At least I told myself one day I was going to inspire people, but I didn't quite know how that would manifest in the future. And here I am, you know, writing books, doing talks, coaching people. And I feel like it's the greatest gift I can give others because when I was going through a lot of the traumatic experiences and the challenges, I always said to myself that, even though at the time there were people that I didn't quite see eye to eye with, I wouldn't wish this emotional pain on anyone because, you know, I was finding it so hard just to go out in the world. And every single time I went out, I said to myself, oh, my God, it's just it's just another day in hell. That's what every day waking up every single day in my life felt like at that time, like things just got worse. Um, there was a moment when we didn't have a home and we lived with my auntie and uncle and they basically had um, a news agency shop and we lived above the shop with them and I remember I was upstairs with my mum once and there was all this shouting and screaming and she ran downstairs and she told me to stay put and then I stayed put and I could hear more shouting and screaming. And that, on the shop floor, there was my uncle, my auntie, my two sisters, and now my mum. And as the noise got louder, I felt really uncomfortable. So I went to the top of the stairs and at the top of the stairs, I could see a direct view of the shop floor. And I looked down and I could see my uncle with a bloody nose, a gun to his head, um, and guys pulling on my sister's hair and my mum's. And then my mum saw me and she quickly kind of like brushed them off. And she, I had my fist clenched because I didn't know what I wanted to do at that particular point. But I knew I wanted to protect my family and I had all this adrenaline in me and I, I didn't I didn't know what my next step was going to be. But I just felt like I had to protect them. And she quickly ran up to the stairs and she was like, stay there and kind of slam the door. And then I heard more screaming. Um, after a while, things kind of, you know, quieted down and the police came and basically the, the, the shop was robbed um pretty much um my family were hurt and the police found this bullet on the floor that seemed to have escaped the gun that was held to my uncle's head um and it was just like that was like uh, it, that felt like a, just an, a normal day in my in my childhood and then once that happened I always perceived threat even if it wasn't there once we finally found a council home, we were unwelcome in that neighborhood. Um, people would constantly shout racist remarks. They'd like put firework. Like I remember once we put a, um, a washing machine outside our home and 
because um, we were throwing it away and someone put a fireworks in the middle of the night and it kind of like exploded. And that was just constantly creating stress in me. And I didn't realize that that was, you know, adding to something that was already traumatic or already traumatic experiences. And I know I needed to heal, but I didn't, you know, I didn't understand the concept of healing. Um, I know I wanted to change my life, but I was constantly feeling stressed and uneasy about everything around me. And that just drove this desire to change my life around. And every single person around me, because we were from like a kind of a poor socioeconomic background, um, poverty, like I mentioned, was a, a big theme. Everyone around me was witnessing the same kind of struggles as we were. So every time I would talk about having this dream of escaping this lifestyle and creating something better for ourselves, people would be like, well, stuff like that doesn't happen to people like us. You know, this is this is our reality and we have to accept it. And it wasn't until my teenage years when, you know, the internet was kind of, I'm making myself sound old here, but when I was on a my dial-up internet and I would start going on internet forums and start reading, I realized that actually there were people out there who lived subjectively worse realities than I did, who managed to change their lives around. And a lot of these people read really empowering books or had empowering mentors that helped them change their lives around. So I turned to self-help books and it was self-help books that really kind of guided me towards a more positive mindset, which then led me to make changes in line with what I desired. So I would say that is probably my, I know that was quite a long first (laughs) defining moment, but I think I owe everything to my childhood. Although it wasn't easy at the time, I do look back with gratitude because right now I get to help so many people around the world and I get to I get to empathize with a lot of people. I don't even know if empathize is a word, but I you know, I, I get to really share or at least try and understand the emotional pain they might be going through because I've gone through so much very early on in my life. Oh my gosh. So that's probably my first <laughs> defining moment. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I really, it's such a, I don't know if it's more so now I've become a mother or or not, but the thought of and going through those stories with you and I, I felt like I was really there, stood next to you as you were describing yourself at the top mm. of the stairs. And there's just so much like an indescribable amount of compassion for this sort of young vex, this child. And I think there are so many children, sadly, who do experience this immense trauma. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like, like you said, it was it was the norm. You almost, yeah. I, were you even aware that it was a traumatic experience? Or did you I, just, were you just going through the motions? I was literally going through the motions. This is, you know, people hear this story and they're like, oh, that's really sad. Um, but honestly, one thing, when I started school, I remember, I think it was reception, we had to talk about our parents. And I didn't realise that every family had had a mum and a dad. And I know that sounds really strange, but I only had my mum. My, my dad passed away when I was six months old. So I didn't even know that I should have had a, a father figure there. I thought just some families have a father figure and others don't. So when I had to describe both my parents... Um, I was troubled. I was just like, oh, I have a mum. And then my t- I remember the teacher asking, well, where's your, where's your like dad? What does he do? And I was just like, a dad? Like, what does that mean? And oh. I remember going home and having this conversation. And, you know, I remember this quite vividly, actually, even though I was only five years old, I remember going home and saying, mum, what happened to our dad? And she, I could, I remember that her body language changing. And she said, you know, your dad's not around. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, he, he, he died. And I remember bursting out into tears saying, wait, so I had a dad and he's, he's dead. Like, because the concept of death was really scary as well. And I just didn't understand it. And all of that stuff, looking back on it, you know, I thought it was so normal at the time because 
I was just going through the motions. And when I talk about my life, it was even, I think, in my teenage years, I remember talking about some of the things I'd gone through. And I remember the kids in my school being like, whoa, Vex, did you really go through all of that? And I was just like, yeah, doesn't everyone go through stuff like that? And they were like, no, like you've gone through some crazy, crazy stuff. And I remember one guy even saying, Vex, one day you should write a book about your life. Because <laughs> it sounds like one long episode of EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, maybe, maybe. At the time, I wasn't really writing. But I was like, yeah, maybe I should. So yeah, I was just living through the motions and not really questioning stuff because it was just so normal. And also, there was just so many things happening. And it was just one after one after the other. And although there were amazing moments in my life there were so much so many moments that were causing stress it was almost like I was waiting for the next thing to go wrong and I know that sounds quite tragic but that's how my life felt when I was a child it was just like today something's gonna go wrong and I'm just gonna have to survive boy and you're on constantly high alert and do you think that I mean, firstly, I just want to say that it's so incredible to hear a story like yours. And just in terms of even the fact that I really believe that it's your soul's purpose to, because not everybody would have that experience and feel this undeniable need to change their lives. Many people would would feel hopeless, would give up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't blame them because it, when you when you experience that much hardship, how the hell are you supposed to start and to get yourself to understand even to see an idea that there might be another way of living Mm -hmm. so it is really beautiful I think to hear such an intrinsic purpose within you um, that you did fulfill and I think you're so right about the empathy because I mean it is only from this experience of pain of darkness of trauma of stress of that you are able to really fully um, understand and feel and um, and offer that sincere compassion um, for others. And, and I feel that even in your writing, people connect to that empathy, you know, even even for, on the internet or whatever. There's, it's a feeling, isn't it? Thank you, yes. Um, I definitely feel like... When I write, I write emotions and if I'm reflecting on the past, I'll reflect on how I felt at that particular time. I think sometimes we can move forward on our journeys and forget where we've been, um, what we've been through and how we felt at those particular times. Right now, you know, I'm only human, so I will face uncomfortable emotions. But how I feel now in terms of happiness it's so much more organic and so much more sustainable because I've worked so hard on my kind of inward journey but I don't forget how I felt for a long period of my life like with the first 25 years I would say was you know really really uncomfortable it was a roller coaster ride I didn't feel positive a lot of the time I found it hard to find gratitude in moments I you know, there was times I wanted my life to end. And that's just me being completely honest and being completely real. That was, you know, part of my experience. So when people feel like that, I'm not going to straight away and turn around and be like, actually, you know, try, you know, try and be positive. Because I can, I completely understand when you're in that state of mind, or you're in that place. And if you're dealing with significant trauma, it's so much harder to view something or reframe a situation and see the kind of light in there. Although it's always there, sometimes just even biologically, it's hard for our brain to change its state because all we're used to is kind of accommodating that emotional pain and feeding that emotional pain. So I really do feel like those experiences... Um, and everything that I've I've gone through do really help me connect with people on on a deeper level. And although I can't connect with everyone, I feel like we all go through the same emotions as human beings. And although my experiences won't be the same as everyone else's experiences, 
I feel like I can appeal to so many different types of people because I've gone through so many things throughout my lifetime. So Vex, then what was your second defining moment? So I think this is kind of linked to what we've been talking about. And a little while ago, I I mentioned that, you know, I kind of lost the will to live at one point. Um, And during my teenage years, you know, I, I read a book and it really opened me to the idea of positive thinking. And I really do believe, you know, even just rationally, we can think about a positive mind will give you a positive life because you're going to view the life in front of you in a positive way. So you are going to, you know, eventually evaluate your life as being more positive. Like that's a given. But I think I went on this really unhealthy journey with positive thinking because I suppressed a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions that I didn't want kind of present in my life. And when books like The Secret, which I think are amazing books, you know, and they talk about manifestation, when they came about, I think, you know, a lot of people, especially me, took them kind of in the in the wrong way. Um, I started ignoring anything negative that I felt because I was like, no, I don't want that to manifest in my reality. So I start suppressing all these emotions that just felt uncomfortable. And it wasn't until my early 20s when I was going through a really difficult time um, during my last year of university that I just I just lost the will to live. Um, I felt depressed. And I'm going to be careful when I use the word depressed here because I wasn't clinically depressed, or at least I didn't go and get evaluated. But I know the feeling. It was a very, very dark place. I struggled to get out of bed. I sat in the dark, which sounds really strange and kind of, in a way, a little bit morbid. But I I sat in the dark. I contemplated death so much. I didn't want to be here. And I would go back and revisit the dullest moments of my life. So all those periods where things went wrong right from you know back to my childhood right back to those memories of seeing you know my mum hurt my uncle hurt the gun the violence um the neighbors not wanting us around rejection with racism I kept replaying them and I, I would then evaluate that my life was bad has always been bad and there's no there's no point sticking around and During that moment, you know, I'm sparing a few details, but during that moment, I wanted to to escape the world. I thought this this isn't a life worth living. Um, But fortunately, you know, I I felt like a guided presence and I remained here. And when I did and I started to, you know, the emotions started to kind of die down, I started to, to see to see things with a little bit more clarity, I realized that I was on this journey, but it wasn't an authentic journey of self-love and healing. It was just me suppressing a lot to, you know, to try and think positive. And I needed to reevaluate the way I approach my journey and be on a more authentic journey of self-love. And I said to myself at that particular point, I will never go back to how I felt because that's the lowest I've ever felt. And at the time, I thought to myself that, you know, I was burdening people by being being here on this on this planet. But what I realized after is actually, I would burden them more if I left, because I would leave this emotional pain. Like, for example, my mum's gone through so many struggles throughout her life. And sometimes, you know, I... I I question how she does it, but to lose, you know, her son because he couldn't cope, like imagine how, what that would do to her for the rest of her life and my sisters. So, you know, I said to myself, like from that moment, I'm, I'm going to find a way I'm going to start addressing. I'm going to go deeper because it isn't a just, it isn't, isn't healthy to suppress these emotions. It isn't healthy to just ignore everything I've been through. I need to go deeper. I need to work on myself. I need to find a more organic way. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, And again, 
that helps me relate so much when it comes to my writing. It helps me come up with solutions, practical solutions that people can actually use in their life to change things around. And all of that's born from this passion, um, from this kind of purpose that I've discovered through my own experiences. And that experience, which I just described, although I've gone through so much heartache throughout my childhood, the experience I had when things looked a little bit better, um, at least economically, that is the worst I've ever felt in my life. Because when mental health takes a toll, it doesn't matter what's in front of you, you're never going to be able to appreciate it because all you can think about or all you can see is cloudiness, gloom, darkness, and life will never look good until you start addressing those emotional wounds and start kind of clearing the lens that you're viewing your life ahead of you with. Um, so, yeah, that was a really big kind of defining moment in, in my work and just, just in my life. So beautiful. And the way that you have described, I think, this difference between um, the importance of sort of just positive thinking, which is just a mask and in, in many ways, and actually coming to a place where you can process the things that you've gone through, the experiences you've had, I think is just so um important and such an an amazing message to really be sending people and I definitely have found that on my journey I did a very similar thing of you know always looking forward forward momentum don't look back I I didn't even have therapy but yet I was still an advocate of Mm -hmm. self-love and it was only when I started to address shame and trauma from a very young age that I was actually able to make significant shifts and realize the importance of looking back and processing. So I guess my question is, how do you, especially because of the things that you experienced or Mm -hmm. anybody that experiences trauma, you know, it it has such an effect on our physiological body. I mean, I I really believe that our muscles, um, our body, it stores every memory that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you begin that process of processing? Yeah, um, that's a really interesting question. I went back to reading for for starters. I started reading books by psychotherapists and psychologists um, and even yogis because the idea that our our body stores traumatic experiences isn't something that's necessarily new, although in the Western world it seems like something that's just kind of come about in the last decade or two. But even if we just look back on how we navigate the world, sometimes there'll be a trigger or something and our body will respond to it in a physical way. Our heart might start beating a little bit faster. We might start sweating. And if that experience is consistent, it usually means that there's a guiding belief behind it so that emotional response is leading back to some sort of limiting belief and what I did was really I just sat with myself um, and I started meditation which has been kind of like I think the most pivotal thing in my journey which has really helped me understand myself but I started to create distance between me and my thoughts and me and my feelings, and just started observing things. And what I realized is that all this emotional pain that I had that kept coming up to the surface, that I kept trying to push down, had some sort of pain pattern behind it. There was something there that was consistently repeating itself, that would consistently surface a a thought, a limiting thought that would then change my biology and influence me to respond in a certain way. And then I just went deeper and deeper into the layers of myself and I started taking care, better care of my body. I started connecting more with my kind of spirit. And I realized that actually with when it comes to healing, it's not just this process of 
you know, reframing situations and looking for the positive. It's actually getting in tune with your mind, body and spirit. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of, I don't know, a lot of people kind of ignore um, the, the three kind of key elements that it's a mind, body, spirit experience. And once I kind of really started nurturing those particular things, I realized that there was a much more healthier way of approaching the healing journey. And that's where it's kind of led me to today. I feel like when it comes to inner healing, you need to to really look at the the layers that that form form the self and they can be broken down into those three key elements which are which are mind, body and spirit. And I suppose that's why the mind, body and spirit or the wellness space is growing so much because a lot of people have realized that the way they've been trying to encourage happiness isn't sustainable or isn't organic. And even with the whole positive thinking, it's once you really start healing yourself on a mind, body, and spirit level, you find that positivity comes to you not only more easily, but just more naturally. So now, although there can be situations that um, encourage undesirable emotions to come up, they suddenly go away much more quickly on their own. I don't have to forcefully try and resist them. I don't have to really engage in them. I can just witness them and they will just disappear in a few moments. And now I'm back into this this steady hum that I have, this equilibrium that lives inside of me. My core, some people call it your, your true selves, but I return back into that kind of state and I can just navigate the world in a much more steady state with a much more clarity and um i can just approach life with kind of you know holding on to much more much more kind of joy oh i love love that i just have one question which yeah. is for anybody listening that kind of gets the mind body but is like what what does it really mean by nurturing your spirit or you know what is your spirit and how what would you say yeah i think when it comes to nurturing your spirit, it's weird because people always ask me, like, what does what does spirit spirituality really mean? Like, is there a way to define it? And I think it's just nurturing something that's greater than yourself. And that, again, sounds kind of wishy-washy, but it's going, it's A, trusting that there's something greater than you and just connecting with it. And I feel like, even if you're not a spiritual person, a lot of people do believe that there is something and it doesn't have, you don't have to give it a name. So, you know, some people give it names like God or source or whatever it is. And sometimes that puts other people off, but I think it's just trusting that beyond the mind, beyond thought, beyond feeling, there's something greater than you and really just connecting with that feeling, that knowingness of everything. Um, what we can do when we go into our minds, we can actually sit back and realize that actually we are not our thoughts. Now, this concept troubles a lot of people. And Eckhart Tolle really has over the years tried, you know, tried to explain this, this, this topic um, in an accessible way. But we, we know that an object and subject is a separate kind of, is an experience with one is viewing the other or vice versa. If we can go into our minds and see a thought, we can realize that actually we are not the thought because we're witnessing the thought. Therefore, there's something behind the thought that's viewing that particular thought. It's the same with our feelings. When we think, oh, I feel anger or this is anger, the fact that you're acknowledging the anger or the sadness or whatever it is means that there's something that's actually viewing it and that's what a lot of people call awareness some people think call it consciousness some people call it I don't know whatever it is and I think it's just connecting with that or knowing that that is your innate nature that thing that witnesses the world or the activities of the mind um, and that's what I think is really 
when we talk about nurturing the spirit, it's just connecting with that true kind of true self. The Upanishads, which is um, ancient Hindu scripts, talk about this self with a capital S. Um, and that's what they were kind of getting at, that there's this, this witness, there's this observer, um, and that is really who you are. And that is essentially made from the same fabric as everything else and everyone else. And once you connect with that, you kind of feel connected, or at least I do. I feel connected to the world around me, to everything around me. I, f I feel like everything's made from this same, same fabric and everything's basically just a form of that same fabric. And once you feel that connection, I feel it just improves the way you navigate the world and all your relationships, because now you start to realize that actually you and I aren't that different. We're, we're, we're coming, we come from this, the same source. Um, and essentially that is our true nature. Don't know if I made sense there. <laughs> Absolutely did. And I think it was such an incredible description. And it really does make it very accessible, actually. You've made it so easy to understand. And yeah, I think it's it's it that's exactly it. I think for me, I describe it as the universe, as an yeah. energy. And I always say, you know, we're all the same energy. It's just we're just vibrating at different frequencies. And so I think absolutely it's spirituality is such a uh, I think people can get afraid of it or especially if they think it's associated with religion or, you know, yeah. whatever. But actually there's there's so many ways to believe and and feel spirituality and nurture it in your life. Yeah, I think you can get so lost in all the all the concepts, the words, the labels. Like I use the universe um, to describe the everythingness. <laughs> um, and then some people will say actually there's multiple universes so it doesn't quite make sense but I think what we're kind of getting to is this this same thing which is just everything totality um, and there's so many ways to connect with that feeling or experience some people just call it a presence and that's completely fine you just got to work you just got to find a way that kind of works for you and find tools and techniques and avenues that help you connect with that feeling of everythingness. And it, you know, there's not one way. Um, so it's really, a, it's a, it's an individual journey that you get to experience yourself and you can try all kinds of things that people suggest or that things that work for you and just, just see where it leads to. Oh, sorry to interrupt your podcast. We didn't do that. It's just been magically done for us. We do a podcast, which I think you might like if you like this podcast. Our podcast is called The A to Z of Men with me, Chris Brooks. And me, Scott Robinson. And what's the podcast about, Scott? I mean, what we're doing really is giving you an insight, a delve into the male mind. We're going through the alphabet letter by letter. I submit a word, Chris submits a word, and we battle it out to see what word goes into the A to Z of Men. And you can get us wherever you get your podcast from just search for the A to Z of men. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a... It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So Bex, what is then your third defining moment? My third defining moment is going to sound quite cliche, I think, or a bit cringy, but um it's probably meeting my wife. I met her a, a long time ago. Um, funny story. Before <laughs> I'm going to make myself sound really bad, but before my wife, I did. I didn't really have any serious relationships. Um, I've always been a romantic deep down, and sometimes people find that hard to believe. Even especially when I was kind of you know in, in cruise in in school and I was associated to wrong crowds, I always loved the idea of love. Um, always of the idea of being some with someone for a lifetime um and I never really I never really found that I had you know especially in healing as a new high I spoke about a relationship that didn't really work out um where I was kind of cheated on consistently um but my longest relationship before meeting my wife was five months (laughs) and so I didn't really have any long-term relationships. And when I when I met my wife, I was just exposed to a world I never knew existed. It was weird. As soon as I connected with her, I just, you know, people would say, how do you know that someone is 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 the one for you? And it's hard to hard to really define that. But when I when I met my wife, there were three things. A, I felt like I knew her for a lifetime. Um, the second thing is, is that I just enjoyed every single moment I spent with her. Um, I was always present when she was around and that was very different. I wasn't in my, I wasn't living in my mind. I was just enjoying the energy exchange that was taking place. And then every time I thought of the future, I couldn't picture her without it. And that's how I kind of felt like, or how I knew that she was, she was the one for me. Um, but over time, you know, the honeymoon <laughs> phase kind of, you know, subsided and we back, we began to see more of each other's conditioning and we started exploring each other's personality and emotional history. And because of our relationship, I learned so much more about myself, about what it really means to be a man because I had such a toxic view of masculinity um and you know how how to how to live a functional relationship I also discovered what true love really meant that I think with when it comes to true love the only time I'd really experienced it was with or true when I say true love I mean the unconditional the selfless kind of love and the only time I think I'd really experienced it was with with my mum and my sisters um but I'd never experienced it outside of someone in my family and with her you know I really started to experience that and I always say to her now that when I first told you I love you there was this there there was this kind of like pressure to say i love you because i feel like when you start meeting someone you start really drawing closer to them you enjoy their time you enjoy their company you want to say i love you and you want to hear it back and in that way you're kind of saying it for a selfish reason and you're also saying it because you're starting to you're starting to accept more of them but when i say i love you to her now it comes from a completely different place it's so much more selfless. It's so much more, I'm keeping you in my prayers all the time. I just want what's best for you. And it's not about me. It's purely about her. And if it wasn't for our relationship, I would have never discovered that for myself. And I really mean this when I when I say that I feel like the right relationship is so integral to personal growth and evolution I think it can really help you understand yourself and other people. 
and really develop a sense of unconditional love, not just for your partner, but for other people. Because once you start to really experience it and kind of gauge it in some kind of logical way, you can start to share that unconditional love that you have for your partner, for other people outside of your your relationship. And it doesn't mean that you want to be in a romantic relationship with other people. It just means that you want to be more selfless, more giving, um, offer something without expecting something in return, because that's what you do in your romantic relationship with your with your partner. So I'm extremely thankful for meeting Koshal in, in, in many ways. Um, I'm so thankful for the challenges that we faced. You know, we've been together since we were, were children. And although at the start of the relationship, it might have been, you know, we were quite naive and we were expecting this fairy type, fairy tale, fairy, sorry, fairy tale type of love that we'd seen in the movies. Um, you know, we've really started to gain an understanding of what love really means and what relationships really mean and how they actually don't, they're not responsible for your happiness, but they can cultivate love and support your happiness. Um, so yeah, I think meeting my wife is probably my, my third moment that made me. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is just so stunning to hear. And I absolutely love the way that you talk about love and relationships and you know, I, I obviously read your book and you talk about it there. And, and also you've you posted some really beautiful um, things on Instagram about the two of you and the way that you work together in your relationship. Um, and I think it is important to read things like this and hear you speak like this because, yeah, the fairy tale that we're sold is, I think it's, it is so, um, I don't know, it just sets us up for failure in relationships, I think, because yeah. it's so easy I'm, to give up at the first hurdle. Yeah, I think we I think we have to remember as well that all of us have gone through some form of trauma. Um, traumas, you know, when you hear the word trauma, you always think of a horrific event, but it's really something that's just altered your, your worldview, something that you found your mind or your body found difficult to process. Um, and it's not necessarily what happened outside of you. It's what happened inside of you at the time you experienced the event, person, whatever it was. Um, and we go into relationships carrying this conditioning and some of it's really dense conditioning and it's really, you know, dictating how you behave in a relationship. So when you go into a relationship, to be aware that someone's coming with, you know, some people like to call it baggage, but someone's coming with their baggage, but also being responsible for your own baggage mm. and then holding space for each other to heal in. I think there's so many misleading concepts about relationships at the moment. Um, and you see it and, you know, I bought into a lot of these concepts, but being with my wife for over a decade um, and now, you know, being married to her, this you know, you get, it's exciting because you learn so much more about each other as the days kind of progress. Um, and there's just so much more, I think, for me to, to share now. Um, and it's just come from a, a, my experiences with around my own, my understanding of how a relationship can function in a healthy way. Um, but to kind of disregard all these ideas that we might have been fed through through Hollywood and other kind of shows and things that we've seen online, maybe, because no relationship's perfect, but they can exist with harmony. I love, love that. Thank you so much, Bex. Oh, thank you. We have finished your three moments and I do have a few quick fire questions for you. But before I do, I just want to ask you, um, I'm actually, because I'm about to go record my audiobook and I'm feeling very nervous about reading <laughs> it back. And, you know, you've had two very successful, you know, I mean, successful is an understatement, but, you know, incredible books. And how did you deal with any kind of doubt about, you know yourself in the beginning or if yeah. you had doubt like I would just love personally just to hear your advice on that <laughs> well thank you for your kind words um so with good vibes good life like 
I've always dreamt one day I'm going to write a book. Um, I didn't know it was going to come this early in my life, if I'd be completely honest, but I just kept reminding myself, with especially with Good Vibes, Good Life, because that was my first book and it's like, you know, my baby, it's my first offering in the world. I wanted to, I wrote Good Vibes, Good Life just because I want to help other people. And I know that my books can't help everyone, but they might help someone. Um, and I kept reminding myself that why. Um, when it comes to metrics, so for example, you might feel a pressure to sell a certain amount of books, reach a certain amount of people, and you can get caught up in all of that. But really what matters is is just helping one person and I know that sounds, you know, some people say, oh, well, that's easy for you to say because, you know, you've sold X amount of books or whatnot. But honestly, like at the start, I didn't. I, I My platform at the time, although it was, you know, it was, it was like 140,000 followers, which is quite a lot. But, you know, it's not as many followers as I have now. But at the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't make like any bestseller lists. I just released a book hoping that it would help people and hoping it would connect with people. And although sometimes I wish that my book would reach other, like more people, it didn't. But I just kept reminding myself, look, if my book helps one person, that's one person that's better off in the world. And how powerful is that? just you know one person it could be you know it could be a younger me for example someone that really needs this message at this time someone that's thinking of maybe giving up on life someone that doesn't know what to do in their life someone that's got this goal that could change their life and their family's life and your book could be that avenue towards that change like that is a powerful thing. So I think you just have to go back to your why. Why am I writing this book? Why did I release this book? And what outcome do I want from this book? And just remember, it just starts with one person. And that's all you can do is just try and feed that thought, that idea. And there's a quote that says, what comes from the heart always goes to the heart. And I completely stand by that. And I think like the book will find the people that it's meant to help. Oh, I love I literally have my Let's surrender to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That is just exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you so, so much, Beck. And your so, work's great. So, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's going it's to reach people regardless. Like I, I read your post today about happiness and I thought, you know what, it's such, it's such a powerful message that you've written. So, oh. yeah. Thank you so, so much. Um, so I just have a few quick questions before you go. So okay. The first one is your most memorable book. So the most memorable book is the book that I think I've, I spoke about earlier in, in the interview. Um, so the first book that really got me into personal development was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Oh, um, what it, a book. Yeah, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of the daddy or <laughs> the mother of all um self-help books I would say I was a big martial arts fan and I remember going on this I used to I, I love hip-hop and I went on this hip-hop forum and there was this corner called the knowledge corner and people would talk about things that have helped them philosophy quantum physics and I remember this one thread talking about books books that have been life-changing and everyone kept talking about Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and someone mentioned Bruce Lee reading Think and Grow Rich to change his life. And I was like, well, I love Bruce Lee. I love what he's done. Um, I love martial arts. So I'm going to read this book. And that's when I kind of realized that nurturing this positivity really will lead to a positive life. And that book was the book that started it. And the principles, I think, still apply. So yeah, most memorable book. What about your favorite quote? My favorite quote has to come from that book. Um, because again, it's, it, it sums everything up. I think when it comes to manifestation, goals, anything, it's, you know, whatever your mind can conceive and believe it can achieve that quote. I, as soon as I read that, I, I printed it out and I, I stuck it up and I was like, this quote, I'm going to read this over and over again, because 
I started studying, I was really into sports as a child, I still am, but I was really into sports as a child. And I started studying the greatest athletes in the world. And I realized that all of them had this concrete belief system that they can do what they set out to achieve and they did it. So that quote for me sums it all up, especially when it comes to manifesting goals. So it's whatever your mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Uh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so funny. I think that everything, so well, I really actually believe everything comes back to manifesting in some way. Everything yeah. speaking about the same concept, about our, our power, our limitless power and potential to change our realities. Yep. Um, your go-to feel-good film. My go-to feel-good film. That's an interesting question. When I answer this with two questions, uh, sorry, two questions, two answers. Um, one is a book that just inspires me. Um, and it's more for, uh, sorry, a film that um, inspires me. And it's more so because of the ending of the, the movie. And it's The Pursuit of Happiness um, starring Will Smith. Because the starting kind of reminds me of my journey with my mum. Because we, I remember like she would hold me close during moments where we were struggling and there was times when like drunken old men would follow us back home and I'd be scared and she'd hold me close and she'd be like, I, I can beat them up, don't worry. And But I knew she was scared, like I, I could sense it. I knew she couldn't beat up these, you know, these these guys, but she was trying to reassure me that things would be okay. But it had a happy ending and that moment in the in the movie when, you know, he gets the job and he starts crying, I remember feeling that like you know like there is good out there um and it just yeah it it just it just reminds me that you know although you come from a difficult background you can achieve great things and the other movie the other movie i know this is gonna be like vex really but the other movie is super bad <laughs> oh my god what a great film <laughs> i watched it so it's just so funny and i just love all the characters i love not loving um <laughs> And yeah, that movie just makes me laugh. So yeah, it's just a it's just a feel, feel good movie. That and the Hangover. I love the Hangover as well. <laughs> that is a great answer. <laughs> um, who is your most influential mentor? Okay, again, I'd, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to say Napoleon. So Napoleon Hill, because of his books and so much of his early work, influenced my kind of direction and exposed me to personal development but um actually one person that's that I see as an influential mentor is um a guy named David R Hawkins he's one of my favorite authors he's so he's a spiritual teacher um he's known known for his research um with consciousness um, and he's also got this background as a clinician, scientist and mystic. And he really helps people understand um, logically what spirituality is, all the nature of spirituality. And it's weird because when we talk about spirituality, what we're talking about something beyond mind. Right. So it's a kind of a subjective experience, a knowingness. But then to use your mind to describe, because language is a manifestation of the physical world. So to describe something that's beyond the mind really runs into a, a kind of a contradiction or a conflict. But he does it so well, like everything he says, or most of the things he says really resonates with my journey inward. And he's played such a massive role when it comes to spirituality and just trying to understand what I felt throughout my journey so he's probably my most influential teacher I do feel like his books are quite hard to understand understand because they're quite sciencey although I do love science I, I feel like you know it's quite difficult to digest but um yeah I, I just feel like his work's really been eye-opening for me and it's playing it's played a massive role and it still continues to play a massive role in my life at the moment oh, amazing thank you so much for sharing I'm definitely going to check him out what is a moment where you felt most proud I would say that again maybe not an answer people might expect from me but um paying off all of my mum's debt and her mortgage is is probably I, I you know 
I watched her struggle my whole life, literally, yeah. And I, I would look at her and be like, how are you doing this? And I remember when I was a child, I didn't understand the world. I didn't understand how money worked. I just thought, you know, you could just find more money. And I wanted things that I couldn't have that, that the other kids had. And my mom would always turn around and say, one day you're going to question how I did what I've I've done in my life. And I didn't quite get it until I, until I started growing up. And I, I, and she was right. I would always question like, how did she, how did she help us survive? How did she put food on the table? Like she would always deliver when she needed to. And I would tell myself as a child that one day I was going to alleviate her suffering, maybe not internally, but at least from the economic kind of side. Um, which was responsible for so much heartache. Like, I think unless you've experienced severe poverty, it's extremely hard to understand the role money can play um, in your life. Like, you know, some days we didn't know if we were going to eat. So when we did eat, we, we kind of scoffed food down and we made sure nothing went to went to waste. But, you know... All we knew was 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 poverty for a long period of our, our lives, and I re- and I saw how much stress it created within my mum. I think as a parent, you know, you want to give your kids the best, and when your child comes to you and says, like, "Oh, what? Why don't I have what other kids have, or why can't I do what other kids 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 are doing?" I, I think it would would have been heartbreaking for her to turn around and say. Look, we can't because I know my mum, she's full of love and she would have always wanted what's what's best for me. She would have wanted to give me. And I remember once, I think I was like 11 or 12 and she bought me this top um, and it wasn't. So basically in school, when it was, uh, did you have Muffly Day in school by any chance? What's mu- no, what's Muffly So Muffly Day is when you get to like dress up in just your normal clothes. You oh, pay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I remember, like, when we went to school, there was a pressure to wear something that was not necessarily, that was branded, basically. So if you didn't, you'd kind of get picked on. And my mum would always en- ensure that something was kind of branded. So she'd buy something that was branded. And I would save that particular top for Mufti Day because I didn't want the other kids to know um, how poor we were. But one one birthday she couldn't give me something that was branded and she gave me this top and she said, look, I'm, I'm really, really struggling. Um, so this is all I could afford. And at that point I realized like, you know, she was just trying to, she was trying her best to make me happy. She was making sure that I went to school and I didn't, I didn't get bullied or singled out. Um, and I always wanted to repay her for that. And even as a child, I would get birthday money from like my uncle or other people and I would save all my money for her birthday and buy her a gift. Um, so I always wanted to, to, you know, I just wanted to, I saw my mum experiencing the stress and sadness and I've always just wanted her to feel a little bit of freedom and liberation from all the heartache and the financial stress. So the day I was able to pay off all her debt, which was, you know, 30 years of debt, pay off her mortgage and be like, look, mum, just live your life, please. Like, just enjoy yourself. Do the things you've always wanted to do. That was one of my, I think, proudest moments. That is just so, like, heartwarming and touching. <laughs> I just have so much admiration for your mom, And she just sounds like such an incredible woman. And from between you, honestly, is my heart just melts. Oh, that truth, that, that bond, there's nothing like it. And to hear it is just so so incredible thank you what is your top tip for dealing with stress my top tip for uh, dealing with stress so there's a technique that I do that I I think works with a lot of people Um, so this technique basically helps you slow your nervous system down when it's kind of overstimulated Um, and it also keeps you tuned into the present moment so you're living you're not living in your head because when you're living in your head you're overthinking and that just creates more and more stress um essentially what this technique does it kind of switches you from the fight or flight mode uh, where we tend to kind of panic to a rest and digest mode where we can remain 
calm and centered. Um, so there's various ways to do this particular technique. I can't remember who invented the technique, but there is a guy that was kind of responsible for it. But um, I like to do a different approach to his particular technique. And basically, it's, it's extremely simple. And it's just to take a slow and deep breath in for a count of four, then hold it for another four seconds, and then slowly release it for eight seconds. So you're basically doubling the release. So instead of four seconds, you're releasing it for eight. So it's four, four, eight. So basically 16 seconds in total. And you can just completely, you can keep repeating this process until you feel a state of calm. But I feel like it just works instantly. It, if, if you're feeling panicked, you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, you can straight away turn to this breathing technique and just focus your awareness on your breath. And it's just going to calm you down straight away. Such a fab technique. I absolutely love that one. So thank you. And the last question is, who is the first person you call to share good news? Oh, it's definitely my wife. <laughs> <laughs> straight away. Yeah, it's... Uh, to be fair, like there's been time. So, so I don't, I don't share, like sometimes things will happen in my field. Um, celebrations, maybe like she's really my cheerleader. Like I don't oh. talk about stuff that I've achieved and she's <laughs> always there telling other people like, did you know Vex is, and it's it's nice to hear because she's so proud of everything I've achieved. Oh. But sometimes like she'll find out that I've achieved something through something else. And she's just like, you didn't tell me. And I was just like, oh, I, I didn't think it was a big deal. And she's like, oh, my God, it's massive. Like, what are we doing to celebrate? Um, so she's constantly there to remind me, actually, you do need to celebrate your small wins. To me, they're small. To her, to her they're huge, which is which is nice. Um, but, I, you know, if I do feel like, you know, I've achieved something that is worth sharing, she's the first person because... She wants to hear it. It's not that I need to tell her. It's that she wants to hear it. She wants to celebrate. And she wants to just give me a big hug or scream or shout or whatever it is and just celebrate with me. Oh, I love, love that. <laughs> well, Vex, thank you so, so much for being such an incredible guest. I have been waiting for this chat <laughs> for so long and I'm just so honoured and you are just so insightful. You have so much wisdom and you speak so sort of poetically and, and express ideas and concepts in a way that I think is so relatable and accessible to people. So thank you for everything that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.